0: Hey coaches before we get going today i just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast and we have an incredible lineup coming up here we have just about every major college conference represented we have a ton of fbs coaches division two coaches division three coaches some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time i really appreciate all of you asking your questions on twitter please follow me at coach k grabowski For our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions, we will read them on the show and attribute those to you. So please contribute to the show as much as you can. On the podcast today, we have one of the countries, at least at the FCS level, leading offensive coordinator in terms of yards and scoring. And for me, it's somebody I'm excited. I met back when he was at my alma mater as the offensive coordinator. I was coaching high school ball and been exciting to follow his career since then. And now the offensive coordinator at Eastern Washington, Ian Shoemaker. Ian, great to be talking ball with you. I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is always a fun opportunity to uh, talk some ball here while we're uh, we're all sheltered at home.
0: Exactly. Well, Coach, let's talk a little bit about the, the transition and catch up. And for our listeners, he's been on before, and we've talked about Coach's background, and I'll link that in the show notes so you can hear all of those things. But uh, let's – Let's move on since the last time we talked when you had football coach at Central Washington, now the OC at Eastern Washington.
1: Yeah, it's been a a fun transition. You know, I moved, uh, you know, a couple, you know, a couple hours down a little farther east from Central Washington to Eastern Washington, but, you know, moved a a long way as far as moving from the division two level and uh, to the FCS level and one of the top FCS level uh, programs in the country over the past decade and just been a been a fun transition level of play wise being in the big sky and it's been a fun deal but uh you know a, a big challenge too you know going from the head coach to uh, coordinating has been something to uh, continue to learn from and you know this is why I took this position is uh to be able to learn a different system be able to learn something new and uh, hopefully stretch myself a little bit
0: absolutely well coach you've always kind of been known at least here boy a big introduction to up-tempo in our area spread offense you know at the small college level one of the first guys to be doing that and you know interestingly enough I mean you you kind of have I guess a coaching tree developing because I know a lot of what you were doing came to me both from sitting down with you but also then bringing one of your former quarterbacks Mickey Mental. On to my coaching staff at the high school level, and then right after that year that Mickey coached with me, we both went on to the cows for me to BW, and I became the quarterbacks coach. Zach Fletcher, who had been with you, I think, before at at Grinnell. If is is that right? Was Zach with you at Grinnell? Or he played at
1: Grinnell as I did, but uh, coached with me at Kenyon College right. uh, prior to there my uh, that Baldwin Wallace job. yep.
0: Yeah, and so now, of course, Mickey who who finally joined me on the podcast after years. Mickey is now the head coach at Notre Dame College Division 2. Now is they've taken that program from a startup now to really a, a powerhouse in Division 2 and so Mick is uh, certainly influenced by a lot of things you're doing as well, but it's it's been neat to see that the stuff you're doing and I know that's progressed, right? But a big part of of what you guys did to lead the country in yards and scoring was about the pace and the tempo. Talk to us about, you know, your philosophy behind that and what you guys do. Yeah, you know, growing up
1: and starting to, you know, being no huddle, starting in 99 all the way back at Minot State, learning from, you know, the rich rods of the world and the Rob Spence's of the world. Uh, When we first went to no huddle, you know, way back uh, then, was uh, you know to use tempo in and out of tempo, play fast, you know, signal the deal in, do do as uh, as much as you can on the fly, and and put a lot of decision making in the quarterback's hands, and and keep the thing flowing. And you know, over the years, uh, you know, as I kind of traveled through the Midwest and back to you know Washington where I grew up, you know, use tempo up and down, back and forth, use the the peak system, use the the fast balls and the and the Indian NASCAR tempos to kind of fluctuate the the pace of play, a little bit and uh you know coming to eastern what we did is kind of uh went to a little bit more of a turbo mentality and and the play fast tempo and the mentality of the the coaching staff here from the head coach on down is to you know 100 120 play mentality right that's the mentality going into the week get as many play calls as you can you know stick in a in a personnel group and, and keep the thing rolling and and play as fast as possible and and that really was something new for me. It uh, it was something that, you know, like I said, we fluctuated between personnel groups, fluctuated between tempos, fluctuated between calls and, 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 and thoughts, you know, within each drive. And and here it's more about, you know, playing as fast as possible. So kind of sticking in those personnel groups and, and playing as fast as possible. And, you know, it was fun to kind of see how, uh, fast you can play and and the kids are still asking for more and and still asking to play faster and was probably the biggest challenge for me as a play caller calling a new system uh, with a new play calls a new terminology and the whole deal was how do I do that and and still call it fast i you know essentially learning the plays as we go or learning the system as we go uh, throughout the season.
0: Yeah, definitely. And with that, there is, number one, there is a limit to how fast you can go. And so that is, I mean, I did a study years ago just watching games in, in between the operations of the officials, right? So you have 9 to 11 seconds, sometimes longer, really depends on the guys doing it. And I think you can get a feel for if if you watch different crews, how they do it. But 9 to 11 seconds before that ball is going to be spotted. So you have 9 to 11 in your operations, as well as your decision-making as a coach to get it in. So that would be the the very fastest you could snap the ball is around, let's say, 11 or or 12. So for you, how do you streamline that on your side to be able to go as fast as possible? Well, I think
1: first off is having, you know – you know, those indie NASCAR fastball calls available on the reaction of what happens on the play prior, you know? So again, when do those fastballs really happen? When do those indie NASCAR calls really happen, it, those usually, you know, in the flow of a play in the flow of a drive, you know, are you positive? Are you just turn the first down over? Did you make a big play? What are the, the things where you can take advantage of those play fast calls and again, I think I can do a, a better job and continue to stress uh, and stress that uh, as, as we go forward. Uh, but I think the other thing that, that changed for me this year was, you know, more about having kind of two calls available in my mind, depending on what the possibilities were on the call that I had just made. And trying to stay in that personnel group and have two calls available for, a hey, is this going to a second and medium, or is this going to a, you know, third second and long situation, or is this going to be a fastball NASCAR type of call following the play that I just called? Uh, so, again, preparing those, watching less of the game and preparing more calls ahead of time. So, kind of having... Three thoughts out there, possibly as as you go. Now, you know the, the hard part is when you get you know something that's not in the flow of the game, a big negative, uh, a sack or a minus yardage play that that really falls outside of the the line in your mind that you were already working on. Right. So again, how many lines can you have rolling? How many thoughts can you have uh, ahead? Can you have three plays ready to go instead of just one play ready to go for that that next snap?
0: So, Coach, from there, then, it's, okay, it's about the, the different things you do to get the plays in, right? And so, as I got into studying tempo, it was always about putting a stopwatch on things, and as an example, right, you know, looking at things like one-word calls, like the the picture boards, multiple signalers, you know, all those kinds of things, tried out all kinds of different things, even to crazy things, Coach, like, like the shape of the picture board, right? Like, we... <laughs> At one point, went to, I think it was, I think we had an octagon. It was octagon or hexagon? Hexagon. And, you know, every board had six on, and we'd be able to flip them around only because we we didn't want to rifle through the cards. We found that was wasting three or four seconds. So if you are somebody who, you know, at some point wants to have that that going as fast as you can, you have to study all those different kinds of things. So for you, how do you find the efficiency in that play call getting in.
1: Well I think, you know, you just have to be efficient in it, like you said, as far as having a plan, right? If the board means this, then it means that. This signaler means this, then the next singular means this. And and having that plan played out to where you can utilize it in the most efficient way, right? So again, I I've done it a number of different ways, right? You know, three different guys formation, motion, play, each position group having their own signaler to just one signaler, you know, being live, the one-word play calls. And we're probably a combination of, of a lot of those things. You know, we, we have had the boards in the past to multiple signalers to Indian NASCAR signals that are different and, and trying to do that. But building that plan from the start and building those play fast mentalities into the start of what you're doing. Uh, The other thing that we do here is we signal everybody, you know, we don't uh, code any more to the offensive line. Everybody's getting the signal. So those one word calls, those India, NASCAR, those play fast calls are coming in uh, really fast to everybody. All 11 are, are seeing the signal from the sideline.
0: So coach, then how you use tempo, right? All kinds of theories on that beliefs, practices, and certainly more than one way to skin a cat so is it all go fast all the time slow down how do, what's your approach and thinking about how you're going to use the the tempo and the pace of the game
1: yeah as of right now you know we're, we're trying to be as fast as possible that's the the personality of coach bez our head coach It's the personality of the program here at eastern the the mentality is let's play faster stick in a personnel group and go as as quick as possible make as little Changes as possible. That's not to say we're not motioning or giving you different formations or anything like that. We're just trying to get that next snap or that next motion started as soon as possible. You know, in the past, like I said, I've also used the, you know, that idea of fluctuating tempo within every drive, being able to play fast. You know, use the peak system, the look system, and uh, normal tempo in every drive and and try to take advantage of, you know, moving the tempo back and forth. Uh, I think there's still some really positive pieces about slowing the tempo down at times within the drive, using the peak system. And I think you can develop a uh, bigger advantage at times by being able to, you know, get guys playing fast and reacting to that super fast tempo. And then when you do peak or that you do run a, a dead count or something like that, you have a little bit more power in it. Right, And I think you get the look that you need. You're not getting a team that's going to adjust their, you know, their front or, or adjust their shades or, or take a blitz off in the middle of a deal because they're not prepared for you to peak or look consistently. Right. So, again, play as fast as you can. Use that peak system when you need it, you know, and, and slow yourself down when you need it. But be able to have that in and in, in built into every drive uh, instead of having certain drives that are all peaks or certain drives that are all fast or certain drives that are all this tempo, build it into your system to where you can use your tempo regardless of what's happening on the drive.
0: So tempo, definitely a weapon and all kinds of tools. And uh, some time back, I, I wrote I wrote a book exactly on that, You know, using tempo as a weapon. And, and within it, I... I talked about 20 different tempo tools and and really it's just procedures that vary in how you're going to get the call in and how long that takes and how long you want before you snap the ball. And, you know, one thing I had talked about for a long time and I remember clinicking on it was even thinking about counters to tempo and even tricks with tempo and something cool that I saw. Well, I, I can't say they originated. The first time I saw it was Alabama did it against LSU with the peak tempo right? So what they did was, you know, they, they had them going fast or they had peaked a few times and LSU's corner was pressed up and those guys were, you know, they wanted the chalk last so they would peek over too to get a new call and it was it was a fake peek. So they peaked, they looked over, let the defense relax, that corner relax and all of a sudden Bama's receivers down the sideline catching the ball for a touchdown. I saw Ohio State do it and shoot, I can't remember if it was the playoff game or the Big Ten championship—it was one of those games. They did it as well. Your thoughts on just thinking about creative ways with that? I mean, that was something I really liked. Is okay, you're going to peek over with us, then you better—you you better be sure that we're not running a player faking you as well.
1: Yeah, I think you know. And again, I've never done a fake peek as, as you're determining it that way. I think it was built into the way we did our peak system. We always put a play in with every peak. I've never peaked a formation. I've never checked with me the formation, you know, in the no huddle system. We've always put a play in and peaked that play. So as soon as we didn't get the safety roll, as soon as we didn't get the three technique where we thought it would, you know, if we got the look that we were anticipating with the play called, we were running that thing as fast as possible. So there was never really a chance. If we looked to the sideline, there wasn't always a certain amount of, Time available uh, for the defense to recheck, right? It was always different and it was always a possibility of us just turning our eyes and turning right back and snapping the ball. Our old linemen never know that we're peaking a play uh, in the past, right? When I was at Central to St. Cloud all the way back, they never knew we were peaking. It was always just a variant in the, in the cadence uh, from that standpoint. So they just knew it was a non rhythmic cadence. It could come right away, it could come with a pause, it could come with you know, a little bit of extra time. So we, I think, got that fake peak tempo just built in by always having a play called in. And we thought, hey, if we put a play in with this, this is an 85% run it type of call, right? I'm, I'm calling the play in a down distance in a personnel group against a defense that I think is good, right? And there's one or two things, either a front adjustment, a safety, you know, adjustment, a blitz adjustment that they could make that we'd really rather not run that play in And, you know, we're only checking probably 15% of the time would be the goal. So anytime we peak, we're peaking and going right back to the cadence as fast as possible until you give us one of those two or three things that we didn't want to run the play into. And then that's when we would make our actual adjustment call to the peak. So I I think, you know, I think the, the, the fake peak is great. But like I said, it was not something that we ever used because I think, by having the play called in and being able to just look and run it immediately right after the look, you know, cause it would come as soon as hey, we knew that that was the look, Hey, we got an over front. We got the safety too high. We know we got exactly what we want. We were running it before the kids looked our looked over to the sideline, you know? So again, it probably felt like a fake peak at times.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Coach moving things along another big part of, of your offense is the decision-making part and you know, you, you told me, you think of it in terms of buckets of decision.
1: What we're trying to do right now, and again, to play fast and to use these tempos and use all the different RPOs and quick game and drop back and mentalities and to, and to do it fast and to be able to compartmentalize these deals and coach fast, because that's another thing, is how are we practicing? How are we able to communicate what's happening at practice fast when we're trying to, play no huddle, snap the ball fast, you know, up and down the field, against scouts, on air, whatever those things are at practice, how are we getting any coaching done? How are we trying to do that? So trying to eliminate all the different ways of of looking at plays and limit it down to just a couple of different ideas, right? So in our quick game, we have, you know, three or four ways to look at, you know, quick game concepts. In our drop back, we have – three or four ways to look at drop back concepts. And then in the RPO game from the, you know, zone read to the quad option to the, you know, the downfield RPO one or two give or throw mentality, there's only, you know, these three or four ways to look at RPOs as well and building our system around those ideas and saying, Hey, if it doesn't fit in these buckets, a play that we put in for the week or put into the install or whatever that is, if they don't fit into one of these nine to 10 buckets that I have designed for quick game drop back and RPO, then it doesn't really, you know, we have to decide, Hey, how important is it to have something outside of that decision-making process that we deemed important for our quarterback when we, you know, devise everything in the off season. So again, I think that was the, a cool thing about coming to Eastern is learning, you know, from all these guys that have, called plays here over the past you know 15 20 years uh, there's pieces of everybody you know from the Bo Baldwin era to the you know the Zach Hill to the Bodie Readers to the Troy Taylors to all these great offensive minds that have coached here well guess what there's all these great <laughs> offensive plays and ideas in this offensive system that makes it really really good but I had to come up with a way that made sense to me, and I think that we can coach those kids fast on. And that was, a, you know, one of the big challenges, and, a, you know, kind of devise this idea of, like, hey, if it doesn't fit into these pieces, into these buckets of read progressions or decision-making operations, then we need to limit ourselves maybe in the number of play calls that we have available. Because I can't, you know, one high, two high, X Z B to ZYF or whatever it is right? Sometimes that becomes a a little bit of a limiting factor on what a kid can handle when we're playing as fast as we want to play and, and have as much offense as we have available to us.
0: I I definitely agree with you on the philosophy and that Uh, for our listeners, I guess, if you could maybe take one of those areas and just give us an illustration of exactly how that works for you.
1: Well, quick game wise, there's a couple of ideas, right? You know, the mic eval idea right hey here's a here's a concept you know that that might tear the i got five guys out and i'm going to tear the mic with a three-man side and a two-man side hey this concept is going to be a mic eval and how do i look at that you know when i maybe empty or move the tail back out of the backfield and add him to a side and i can move the mic in a two-high you know shell it's a very simple idea hey this is mic eval mike opens and runs Right, I'm going to evaluate the the alley player away from where he opens and runs, and that's as simple of an idea that that is out there probably in the quick game. But that would be one way, you know, the, to to do it. And then the next one would say, you know, hey, here's a here's a uh, you know pre snap triangle. Say I have you know three step call mirrored on both sides, two by two, right, and I got to decide left side of the field or right side of the field. I don't have time in the quick game. To, to flow from one side to the other, all right, so I'm going to use my pre-snap triangle to give me a left or right side decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. Old school, free safety, softest corner, most tucked backer. right? Shortest throw to best matchup, right? I mean, that's everybody learned that growing up. It's a great pre-snap mentality. We just don't have a ton of two-by-two two mirrored anymore, but that is one of our tools uh, because there are some of those things that come up. That we want to use. Hey, I want to throw hitches on both sides. I want to throw fade out on both sides. I want to throw, you know, whatever it is slants on both sides. You know, it doesn't happen a ton, but that would be a way for us to say, hey, this is a pre-snap triangle. You make your decision left or right on what you see pre-snap and go fight that side. You know what I mean? Go play that side as fast as you can with your quick game footwork. Uh, another one in, a, in our quick game mentality would be, you know, a quick progression, what we call quick progression, which would be, you know, a lot of times using spacing ideas where, you know, we're just going to limit this thing down to one, two, three. One, two, three balls out, right? It could be a low spacing. It could be a three-man scat concept. It could be some of those different ideas. But, hey, I'm going to limit this idea down to there's just three things in it right? There's just going to be one, two, three, and I'm using my quick game footwork and I can get through three ideas. I can't get through five. All right. We're not going to sit back there and make wine smashing grapes with our feet. We're going to try to make a decision as fast as possible. And that was, you know, kind of take you through quickly. The, the quick game, we have concept individual as well. We're with three by one boundary, you know, we'll go bracket, no bracket on the boundary single, and then concept the, the three man side. Right, and just be able to say, "Hey, whatever the concept is, we know how to look at that." As long as I know bracket, no bracket on the single, right? The free access, whatever you want to call it, right? We just talk bracket, no bracket on the single. I can make that decision on the first step, and then be on my three-step concept to the field side as soon as I get confirmation of bracket, no bracket.
0: So, Ian, then you know, taking this this concept out onto the field. I mean, imagine you're not necessarily going to carry. Every single one of those, you know, decision making types into the game that game plan wise, you might settle on maybe a couple from each group or whatever it might be. But as you translate those two, especially thinking about install, teaching a quarterback, those different buckets, et cetera, at a time, how do you organize your install? And I guess, you know, as you get into the season, are there any factors that go into how you might organize your practice to work it work those the different decision making buckets?
1: yeah I think you know your individual drives that a little bit in our drops we'll use with the footwork you will be doing your visualizing your your decision-making process. Hey, this is going to be a hitch outside. We're going hitch left side. We're going left, right, ball out footwork. And you're visualizing that flat defender and the pre-snap triangle. Or, hey, this is going to take you through one, two, three, quick progression. So I'm going to go through that footwork of how do I get through one, two, three with our footwork. And as I get into my drop back game, we're going to do a similar piece as far as, you know, how do I retreat? How do I make my decision, you know, moving off of my footwork? Uh, the next thing would be, you know, mesh drill. Just saw it. was Ohio State had it out on Twitter yesterday. A bunch of guys were, you know, sharing that around on Twitter yesterday. Old school mesh drill. We've been doing it for, uh, you know, a, a ton of years, and it's the exact same drill you know, triple option mesh drill, but now with the RPOs and flipping the ball and throwing screens and and giving your quarterback the opportunity to make all those RPO decisions as well. Well that comes in that drill. Then the drop back decision making comes out of the you know, the footwork and drop drill. And then, you know, putting your body in a position or, you know, stationary target or retarget in position to, you know, work on secondary triggers. So, you know, I think each of your individual drills kind of drive that mentality of of what you're trying to get done. We will take, you know, all probably nine decision-making, you know, buckets into every game. But again, how many plays are we going to have? And then say, okay, hey, you know I mean? You know, this one falls into this this week
0: the two ball drill another thing i picked up from you i think when i was at the high school level just coming out the spring ball and watching you guys practice and then of course that that stayed a part of Baldwin wallace offense as i was there and you know we carried it to other places as well how have how, talk to me a little bit you know you mentioned that you're doing that in rpo now talk to me about using the two ball drill with rpo yeah so old school
1: match, right so we're gonna have First thing we're going to do is we're always going to have a single read, right? Where we're just reading the backside defensive end five technique. If it's you know C gap defender, B gap defender, D gap defender, whatever it is, the edge man that you're reading, right? So that's the first thing we're teaching: the mesh of of the pistol mesh, stepping off the line, getting the tail back to his target, reading the backside guy. I'll give them. I'm I'm getting old, right? I I'm, I used to run down the line all the time, shuffle. You know, right? Now, now I'm, I'm more about numbers, right? I'll give them a, an odd and even. Hey, odds are pulls, evens are gives. Change it up. Make them do math. Give them two hands. They got to add and subtract or whatever, whatever it is to get to their odds and evens. But I just want to see that their eyes are on me. They're making a decision, and they're handing or pulling, that's the read piece, right? The next ad would be, all right, you go to triple option, right? So now I'm, I'm handing the ball. And I'm getting the ball flipped to me, and I'm pitching to a pitch phase player, right? So that's the old school basic triple. You go to any freaking uh, triple option team, and you probably have something similar to that. But as the read player, I know he's going to give the ball away. I'm tossing the ball to him. I'm still having him call out a number, whatever he's seeing, whatever you know information I'm giving him. He's calling it out as he meshes with the dive back. I'm pitching him the ball and now. He gets into pitch phase, and we have somebody. Probably usually another quarterback or a manager. Again, like I said, I'm I'm at the, the FCS level now. I got more managers and more bodies out there to help with some of these drills. Back in the day, it was an extra, you know, an extra quarterback that was out there making that pitch pitchery for us. Right now, the next step is to add the RPO piece to it. So now, in through the dive mesh, calling out the number, catching the ball, getting the laces, finding the ball, the grip, and then throwing the ball out to a now screen area or a bubble screen area and putting the ball on that guy and you know guys ask oh why are you you know tossing the ball what does that do well that just makes them do something athletic after they made a decision right so I'm meshing handing the ball away to the dive back and now I have to catch the ball keep the ball do something athletic with my hands and my feet and then find the throw right and find that bubble or now screen whatever that that opportunity is out there and and put the ball on him in an athletic movement so it just adds another layer of athleticism to your quarterback which in this type of system has to be uh, paramount right so again being able to have that guy make a move and make an athletic movement after meshing catching make a decision set his feet get his hands around and throw the ball to the you know to the screen
0: yeah, no, great, great drills, and thanks for sharing that, and Coach. Uh, you know, the one other thing we've talked about on this podcast before—I know I've brought it up in other podcasts—and and attribute it to you. The the process for doing openers—that uh, I know you guys used to do at BW—wondering if you've you've carried that on to what you're doing now.
1: Oh yeah, no, we're we're democratic as it gets. Uh, same thing. Uh, everybody votes on their top 12 plays. We usually divide it up uh, six runs, six passes. We put them on the board, and uh, and we uh, kind of just take votes and whatever were the you know the top 12 votes from every position coach. And actually, we've added our uh, top two quarterbacks to the mix as well. So here now our quarterbacks get a get a vote in that process as well. And then that builds out you know the the plays that we feel coaching wise, each coach in his uh position group uh feels comfortable with the plays that everybody likes that we watched on film during the week and uh, from the practice film to what we broke down in game plan everybody has that that input and, and puts it on the board and then we kind of add all those top voter getters together so if there's you know five position coaches and two quarterbacks and a play gets seven votes well guess what that's going to be in the first 12, you know, and that's going to be the, the way we open the open the process up. Uh, after we get the top, you know, uh, 12 vote-getting plays, then we develop the, the order, right? So, okay, now we're going to talk about, okay, do we want to open with this? You know, what does that look like? And then we get our 12 plays. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to call those 12 plays in that order throughout the game because one of the other things that we always have available on our call sheet is, the first timers, right? the first time it's third and less than one, the first time it's third and one to two, the first time it's third and medium, the first time it's third and long, first time it's third and extra long. What's the call that we're going to use in that situation? So those first 12 are probably more choice down uh, unless things are flowing really well, and then jump to your first timers to break up that deal. And uh, sometimes I'll say, hey, I'm going to jump down to a uh, you know, stick a play-action shot play in play 12 because everybody loved this play-action shot. I'm going to stick it at play 12 or that first 12 and go, hey, I'm going to grab that at the right position, right? Midfield, first and 10, after a first, whatever that situation might come up and say, hey, that 12th play in this first 12, that's going to be one I'm going to grab in, in the just the right timing. Uh, it doesn't really fit as a as a basic opener, right? Uh, so again, there's just some different fluctuations on how we do those first twelve. But as far as voting it, everybody having a a voice in the room of what those openers are going to look like, what those first twelve uh, pieces are going to look like is it, still the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love the process and the discussions that would come from it, and really, you know, doing it later in the week and, and uh, everybody kind of being able to give their perspective and their feedback on, you know, things that uh, they felt were working well or things their players struggle with. There'd be a lot of good things that would come out of that discussion to not only just figure out the openers, but solidify thought process and what, what you were going to do as a as a uh, play caller. Yeah.
1: And like I said, I think it gives, you know, uh, open air for that conversation to be like, hey, you know what? As a play caller, I love this play because I designed it and I thought it was going to be really good. But if two or three positions in the room, you know, aren't comfortable with it, then is that a play that we want to expose ourselves to immediately to start a game? Or we want to get into a little bit more of a flow where everybody, yeah, man, everybody in the room from the tight end coach to the running back coach to the receiver coach all felt the same about this pass and this protection and, and the whole deal. So uh, that's been really the where you get the feedback from and and adding the quarterbacks into the vote uh, has helped as well. It gives them a little bit more ownership in the deal as well. And I think we got better. We did that probably about game five or six added the quarterbacks into it. And, and obviously, uh, you know, got going a little bit better towards the end of the year this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you never want to run into that situation where you lose your first guy, but really keeping that guy sharp just with his thought process and what what he thinks about the game plan. But as well, there's a lot that's going to come from just taking a look at what he's put down and his confidence and where he's at.
1: No question. No question. What is he like? What's he confident with? Oh, it's plays that we've been running for five weeks versus the, the new install for the week because we thought it was going to be good against this structure that we're seeing. Uh, that may not be the play that he's the most comfortable with, and he's going to give you the twelve that he's the most comfortable with going into the game, you know, into the game.
0: Yeah, very important because we could call the plays, but they're the guys who go, got to go out there and do them. No doubt. Well, coach, for our listeners, I just want to make sure you share the areas re- that you recruit so guys are aware of that.
1: Yeah, I have you know now being at the FCS level and coordinating, I only have the. Uh, Northeast corner here, the Spokane area uh, of the state of Washington right now. So any of those guys that have any guys up here in this area, right by, uh, you know, a 60-mile radius of of uh, eastern, uh, that'll be my area as far as school coverage. Uh, but realistically, I'm recruiting all quarterbacks. So if anybody's got an arm that they think can, uh, can play, you know, uh, tweet me, uh, reach out to me on Twitter or text me or whatever, uh, Uh, email however you want to get a hold of me but uh, we are evaluating quarterbacks uh, at all times from all areas trying to make a decision on uh, who the best guy will be for this next class
0: and uh, coach what's your twitter handle it's at coach
1: shoe e-w-u so coach s-h-o-e-e-w-u
0: ian i appreciate you taking time as always it was great to catch up with you stay safe here as as we go through this uh shutdown and but best of luck to you and the Eagles as you get back to playing ball.
1: Appreciate it and uh like I said, I hope everybody's staying safe, stay smart, take care of your kids and your family, man. This is uh this is a crazy time, but uh hopefully if we do it right, we'll come out stronger on the other end. Thanks, guys.